I've titled the message today, The Gift. Would you say that with me? The Gift. The Gift. Say it again. The Gift. Well, Bujo and Thibodeau, they went back to work at the crawfish farm right after the holidays. And they were sitting around talking about, you know, what they bought for their wives for Christmas. And Boudreau tells Thibodeau, he said, man, I got Marie the biggest diamond ring you could ever see. And Thibodeau said, wait a minute, Boudreau, I thought Marie wanted a brand new Mercedes for Christmas. Boudreau says, he said, man, yeah, but how in the world, just because she wanted that, that ain't one thing. How in the world was I going to find a fake Mercedes? Come on, somebody right there. Our key scripture today is almost blew that. Thank you for being gracious. Our key scripture today is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. One thing about my new pulpit is it's a little further down, so I can't, can't see all the words real well. Excuse me, let me zoom in. There we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Jesus, I ask you that over the next few minutes that you would call forth your servants to be your ambassadors. That, Lord God, that as you sent your son Jesus as a gift to bring us back to the Father, as you brought us back through your son Jesus, the greatest gift, that we then would take on that responsibility and role to be a gift to others, reconciling them back to the Father through Jesus Christ. I ask you now, Lord God, that you would give us wisdom and guidance. I pray you would stir hearts supernaturally, beyond anything I could ever think or do or help happen. And we just ask you now, Lord, to call people forward in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This passage, if you'll read the earlier parts of this passage, uh, Paul goes into uh, how God is reconciling the world back to himself through Christ. And, uh, and he even goes as far as to say, and anyone in Christ is a new creation. Well, it's a different concept for the Jews because Jews uh, basically had to work for their salvation. They had to be good. They had to obey the law. And the new covenant, what transpired was Jesus came and literally reconciled men, humanity, if you will, back to the Father. And this beautiful passage is talking about how, how actually God's not even counting men's sins against them as they come to Christ. He, in other words, he's washing away the sins and not, and not counting them against us. And then we pick up again in verse 20 and it says, For we, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And Paul is speaking, obviously, of himself and the other leaders, but it also applies to us as believers that we are Christ's ambassadors, that the only way to reconcile the world back to himself is through us, those who have inherited the beauty and the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through us to be his ambassadors that we now have become, if you will, the gift to the lost and dying world. See, Jesus is no longer on the planet. His Holy Spirit is. His hands and feet are not here. So therefore, we are his hands and feet. We are his voice to a lost and dying generation. We are his eyes to see the need and meet the need. And so with that being said, that's kind of the appeal that I want to make to you today as we look into 2018, as we review what's transpired in 2017 in our lives and what God would have for us, I want you to consider that maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, that this is the time for you to switch into ambassadorship mode, that you actually represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Maybe, just maybe, and what we do is we send ambassadors to other countries to represent us, and they represent our desires, they represent uh, the things that, uh, that matter to us as the United States. We send them over there, and they live, if you will, or they operate, if you will, in a culture that's not their own, while representing our culture as a light and a beacon of the United States. How much more has Christ called us to be ambassadors to a lost and dying world. I love this concept that we are the gift. You know, we're talking about Every day this, this month, we've been talking about gifts, what gifts you're buying. Black Friday drove you insane, so that wasn't enough, so they had to have Cyber Monday. Cyber Monday wasn't enough to buy gifts, so they had to have, you know, Online Tuesday. And they keep saying, oh, we're going to extend Black Friday. Like, it's been flat Black Friday for three weeks now. I mean, they just, because why? Because they want you to give gifts. They want you to buy and give. But, friend, can I tell you something? The gift that this world needs, they cannot buy. The gift that this world needs has been bought and paid for by one and only. His name is Jesus Christ. And we we are his ambassadors. We are the gift, come on now, to the world through Jesus Christ, uh, bringing people back to the Father through Jesus Christ. And that's what this passage talks about. I want to look real quickly, if you will, with Acts chapter 9 as a great illustration of a great person that probably 
is not really remembered that often in Scripture. He had one moment, if you will, one stage appearance, but yet his significant act of obedience, the gift that he brought, transformed what we know as Christianity. In Acts chapter 9, verse 10, we're going to pick up right there that the earlier part of chapter 9, the apostle Paul, or Saul, as the Bible was using, uh, you know, at the time, I think it was his uh, Greek name, or his, excuse me, his Hebrew name, Saul. And as a result, uh, Saul has been uh, going after Christians, imprisoning them, trying to kill them, because they, in his mind, are a, uh, they are a cult against Judaism, and they are uh, to be destroyed because they're not pure. And, uh, and he's on the road to Damascus when Jesus knocks him, as my baby says, on his boot to Heine, and speaks out to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he replies back, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And in that moment, Saul has a conversion experience and recognizes, I have been wicked. I have been wrong. Jesus was the Messiah. He just spoke to me. And when he comes to, out of this experience, he's completely blind. Jesus has blinded him. He cannot see. He has humbled him. If you've ever been blind, even for a moment, you know the fear that ensues from that. The inability to live the way you were able to live before. Paul has this experience. He's probably led by his buddies and and he ends up at a guy named Judas's house on Straight Street. Let's pick up there in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Would you say that name with me? Ananias. One more time. Ananias. There's a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Look at it in the scripture. Exclamation mark. So he didn't wish me. He calls to him, Adam, Ananias, he calls to him real loud. Yes, Lord, he answered, smart guy. Verse 11, and the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go! Exclamation mark. He is still amped up about it. Go! This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see he got up and was baptized. Friend, can I explain something to you? This is a powerful story on Saul's end, or Paul's end, as we later begin to call him by his Hebrew name, Paul. But Saul here in this moment has been laying around in a bed at Judas's house for however many hours, however many days, whatever the case may be, and he is blind. Everything in his life has been turned upside down. If at best, you might would call him an agnostic for our generation, or maybe even an atheist, or at least for sure, a hater of Christianity, to the place where he was, de- he was bringing detriment to it, trying to destroy it. And everything with all of his passion, with all of his energy, trying to destroy this thing called the way or what we now call Christianity. He's after it with all he has. He has this encounter with the living God and it knocks him on his backside, turns his world upside down. And he finds himself laying in a bed on, at Judas's house on Straight Street. He can't help himself. He can't defend himself. He can't take care of himself. He may not even know this guy Judas that well but he's laying in a bed and in that moment he has a vision that there's a man going to come a man by the name of Ananias he's going to lay hands on you and you're going to see again and in that experience he's laying there praying God then at the same time goes to an obscure no name just a normal disciple just a normal everyday Christian named Ananias we don't know anything else about him Paul refers to him in chapter 22 and he simply says that he was a good man that he was a godly man he's not a leader in the church Damascus 
Ephesus obviously has a, cult, a, 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 a community of believers, but all of the outpouring of the Spirit and all had happened in Jerusalem. And then in Jerusalem, there was this big outbreak against Christianity. Obviously, Saul was a part of it. And so Christians fled from Jerusalem. So maybe some came to Damascus. But either way, he is very aware, Ananias that is, that there is a guy coming. His name is Saul. He's going to look to find all of our little selves of Christianity. He's looking to find us, stomp us out, so be on your guard. It's coming. It's happening. And on the journey there, Saul gets knocked on his backside. God has an encounter with him and then speaks to this everyday Christian. that Not some big leader, not some prophet, not some priest, not some guy who studied every part of the word of God, not some guy who went to Bible school, not some guy who has a church, just a dude who loves Jesus and is trying to take care of his family. God speaks to him and says, hey, bro, I need you to go to Judas's house on Straight Street, and there's going to be a dude there who, is, uh, who I have a plan for. His name is Saul. His name is what? His name is Saul. The Saul? Yes. Listen, in case you didn't know God, Saul is trying to kill us. The moment that the name Saul comes from the heavens to Ananias, can you imagine the fear that gripped him? Can you imagine the excuses that begin to run through his mind? Imagine, I'm going to lose my family. He's going to imprison me. It's a setup. This whole thing could be the end of my existence. How will my children, how will they survive? They'll take our home away. My, my family will be on the street. What will I, how will this, God, are you sure about this? And he says, yes, I am. Go. He gives him an emphatic go. The same go that we got from Jesus when he said, go into all the world and preach the good news. He gives the same go to this Ananias. And Ananias goes, knocks on the door. Can you imagine that first knock? Tut, 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 tut. No one's coming, Jesus. I guess I missed you. Knock again. Ah. Judas comes to the door. Excuse me, sir. Is there a man here by the name of Saul of Tarsus? Yeah, who's asking? My name's Ananias, and Jesus sent me. Well, come right in, because he's had a bad experience with Jesus. You need to come talk to him. (laughs) And he says, and he opens up with the words, Brother Saul. Something had to shift in his heart from the time Jesus spoke to him. To the time he made it to Saul's presence. Something shifted. Shifted in the fact that compassion came on him. And he no longer treated him as the, as the enemy who was coming to destroy him. But he saw him now as the brother who Jesus wanted to reach. In that, in that opening statement to him, brother Saul, something had to settle Saul's heart. In that moment, he lays hands on him. God told me to lay hands on you. He's never laid hands. The Bible never says anything about this guy working miracles. This guy's not a miracle worker. It's probably the first experience he's ever had. I would imagine it, he couldn't even, he probably didn't even know if it was really God speaking to him. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that he had heard God's voice before. Uh, and nowhere in Scripture does it say that he's heard his voice again. In fact, after this moment, he's removed from the scene. We don't hear about him. He's not talked about. He's just an everyday Christian like you and me. And in this moment, he says, Brother Saul, I'm here to lay hands on you and get you filled with the Holy Spirit because you've already had a defining experience with Jesus and you've already made him Lord. But friend, let me tell you about his power. And when I lay my hands on you, something supernatural is going to happen. And the Bible says it was like scales fell off his eyes. And all of a sudden he could see. Saul, as we know him as Paul, went on to write two-thirds of the New Testament that you call Holy Scripture that strengthens, encourages you, and causes you to serve the Lord. Two-thirds of the New Testament was written by this man. This man was in prison. This man was beaten. This man raised the dead. This man healed the sick. But before there was a Paul, there was an Ananias. Someone who went in obedience to the Lord and ministered truth to a person that probably didn't really even deserve it. Went out of his comfort zone. Left his place of safety. Did his best to overcome the fears and apprehensions. Did he have to take off of work? 
Did he have to, did he have to stop the Christmas holidays? Did he, what, what was he involved in? Hanukkah. Not Hanukkah, Christmas. But anyway, what was he involved in that caused him to stop and have to do something to help? He became in that moment a gift from God to Saul. He became the gift, the ambassador, if you will, for a man who was laying on the bed, blind as a bat, who had had his world turned upside down. And in this moment, this Ananias, this no-name guy, a guy that we don't ever hear about again, had this one moment of being the gift of God to an individual who went on to change the world, who went on to do supernatural things. Can I tell you something? We are a missional church. We are a group of people who are going to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And it may be just one that we touch in our lifetime. It may be hundreds, but each and every one of us will be a gift to the hurting world. Each and every one of us will change lives. And even with just a simple, I'm being obedient and I'm here to pray for you. Even with just a simple, I walked down the street, a street that I've never been to before, got out of my comfort zone, knocked on a man's door that I don't know, and in obedience to the Lord, something supernatural came of it. Even if nothing else ever happens in my life, in this moment, I will be the gift. I don't want to just hear about it. I want to live it. Can I tell you something? Small obediences will make big impacts. Small obediences will make big impacts. Oh, everybody wants the pulpit. Everybody wants a YouTube channel. But nobody wants to just knock on the door and say, listen, I just felt like God sent me here just to pray for you. Just to tell you that I love you. Can I explain something to you about the real power of the gift? The real power of the gift. The the real power of the gift is the fact many times simply that someone actually cares about you. That's the real power of the gift. It's not so much if the gift is that big or that wonderful or if the, if the giver of the gift is that brilliant. It's just the, the, the power of the gift is that somebody actually cares about me. That someone actually recognizes that I'm alive. Here's the second thought process I had about the real power of the gift. And that is that when someone brings a gift or when someone is the gift to you, it helps you understand for the first time for some people that I'm not alone in this old, big old world. That somebody actually heard God's voice and that I'm not alone in this big old world. That's what gifts do. Here's another thought process about the real power of a gift. And that it's not always in the value, but it's in the sacrifice of the giver. What makes it a beautiful gift is not how much it's worth. It's not that it was a fake diamond or a Mercedes. It was that the gift giver made a sacrifice because they loved me. It's the sacrifice that makes the gift so powerful. Jesus was talking about that as he stood there at the temple in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 44. All of these people were coming for this big moment of giving. And they're pouring all their money and all their riches into this offering, to this tithe plate. And it was a big metal thing. So when, when the coins would hit, it would make all kinds of noise. And so they would line up. And the wealthy people would line up and they'd wait towards the end. And then they would throw in, ching, ching, ching. And everybody, oh, brother, so-and-so's giving today. And Jesus is standing there and this little widow lady walks up. And she puts two little pennies in there. Actually, they were, it was less than the value of a penny. And as they hit, tink, Jesus pauses everybody and says, that woman right there gave more than anybody else. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, Jesus, can you not add? Obviously, she didn't get more. He goes, no, no. They all gave from the abundance of their wealth. She gave out of the sacrifice of her existence on all that she had to live on. See, what makes a gift powerful is the sacrifice for it. What makes us ambassadors to a hurting world is that we'd be willing to sacrifice to show love and show that we care. And then the last real power of a gift is that God would call upon another to be his hands. Can you imagine as Paul sitting, Saul sitting there in bed like, I have blown it. I've been so wrong. And that God would speak to some guy named Ananias. And that dude would then obey the Lord. And that guy would come and knock on the door and be Jesus' hands. Because Jesus isn't there. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He would be Jesus' hands and he'd lay the hands on this man. It, like Jesus did all throughout the He would be Jesus' hands. And the fact that he'd be willing to do that and be like Jesus. The power of that gift. That's the gift that we're talking about as we go into this next year. Oh man, we've had such a privilege. This last year. This last year we had some 87 people from Church on the Hill answer the call. To be his hands to those in need.
come on, wasn't that awesome? You do better than that. That was 2017. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Those were all the missions trips that we took, or at least uh, we didn't get all of them, but we had, because we didn't get this last one. Um, this is Miss Erica Byler. She's our missions director. Would you give her a hand? <clears throat> as you can tell, uh, what's so important to us as a church um, is that we would touch the world, um, that we would be a gift to the lost and the dying of the world um, as we know it. And the Bible talks about that we should love our community, but we should also uh, love those that are outside of our community and go to them and preach the good news. And so Erica keeps us on track to constantly be doing that, and I'm just so proud of her. In fact, uh, uh, yesterday she woke up with, with flu symptoms along with her baby, and she just took um, her baby uh, to Haiti, uh, little Warner, who's seven months old, so went to spy out a missions work, as we told you guys a couple weeks ago in Haiti, prayed for him, and they just got back. So here she was in one of the most volatile countries in our, in our hemisphere and uh, with her little baby boy. And I just give us a quick report of what Haiti was like. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it was really, uh, Haiti's been on my heart a long time, since I was 12 years old, and I know Pastor Adam talks a lot yes, about it. So to visit the country, uh, it was eye-opening. I told my staff earlier this week, I said, there are two types of countries that you go to on the mission field, and the first is uh, a culture it just becomes part of you. You love the culture, the food, the people. They just become part of who you are. And uh, then there are countries that shatter your worldview. They make you look into yourself and say, what, what am I doing with my life? How is my relationship with God affecting others? Uh, and Haiti was that for me. I mean, I came back and I just was like, Lord, what do I do with this? And, and how can I help these people? And uh, just to see... Uh, and to be able to minister alongside my family, uh, little Warner was a star. You know, the, the kids had not seen white babies before, so they just touching his little skin, you know, like patting him, and, and it was He's just real. really special. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool. And and it is the poorest country in our hemisphere. And uh, speak to that a little bit, what you saw there. That was just... I mean, I've seen poverty before. We've done, you know, trash uh, families, ministries that they live they live in the, the landfills and stuff. But you walk outside that and you know, there are people in houses and stuff. But Haiti is just widespread poverty. It's like lean-tos. You know, they have uh, little sacks that they make their walls out of. And it's literally, they just line the streets um, of, of the, you know, the streets you see their houses, just yeah. really a lean-to. They have, you know, yeah. no running water, no electricity. It's just dirt floors, yeah. and it's just widespread. There's just no break from the poverty. It was a, it Yeah, was you a don't go from there in. to the nice neighborhood, nope. just nope, all no throughout. That, yeah. And the last, the last big uh, earthquake, you know, Devastated toppled it, yeah, it yeah. to the next level. Yeah. And, and all those billions of dollars never made it to the people, by the way. Yeah. And that's typical. Uh, there's such corruption in the government that... There's some fat cats sitting somewhere, probably in Europe, but they're not, they're, they didn't help the people of Haiti. And so, you know, I, I love this statement. This is, this is a statement you made the other day, and I want you to give that and quote that one right there for everybody. I was studying the other day, and it, uh, the person I was studying said, uh, where you go is your mission trip, but where you live is your mission field. Amen. We want to we encourage you, those of you that went on mission trips with us this year, uh, we want to encourage you um, to spread that to others, how it blessed you and how it helped you. And those who were not able to go in 2017, we want you, uh, the crux of the message today is for you and your family uh, to consider going with us on 2018. That's really the heartbeat of today's message, that we would be like an Ananias. Maybe, maybe we don't have, you know, maybe we're one, one trick pony. That we, they never hear about us again, but we went that one time. And touch that one person who went on to change the world. You never know how God would use us that we are his hands and feet. And there, there are a few ways that we've been uh, preparing for today. Three ways that mission trips will affect you. And I wanted to get the different ones who are on mission trips to come up here and testify a little bit. But the problem with that is we have three services. So uh, getting people scheduled to be here all three services uh, just was just about impossible. So what we've done is we've captured a few of them on video. But the first way that, uh, that, that a mission trip... Um, will affect your life as what? You heard me talk about how Haiti shattered my worldview, and it really, I think you, you can't go into the mission field and, and come back the same. It's going to make you look at things different. It makes you look at yourself different. You look at people differently, yeah. and so it really uh, it challenges your worldview. It makes you into uh, a little bit of a, a thinker about, you know, the world and its status, and you can't just stay in your little box, you know. You're not uh, sheltered anymore. It just yeah. really expands your You've horizons. Been exposed, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's hear from Miracle for just a moment. This is Miracle on how her trip to uh, Cuba changed her worldview. So I went to Cuba 
and uh, it was actually nothing like I thought it was going to be and I'm really glad that I didn't let my assumptions about it keep me from going. Um, there were, the interesting thing is that there were a lot of new believers there in Cuba and a lot of them were much older but and there was also a level of poverty that I wasn't used to seeing but just seeing the hopefulness that they had and just how faithful they knew the Lord was was very encouraging. Um, also being there helped me to see that our way here in America isn't necessarily always the dominant way or always the correct way but it just exposed me to a new way of, different, of, uh, of doing life and I was also able to see that um, God is just so big. His presence isn't just limited to here in uh, the church or in Cedar Hill, Texas, but that his presence is moving all over the world. Come on. Thank you, Miracle. Yeah. I know, um, to your point, when I went to Haiti for the first time, I came back and I just... I boxed up everything. I was like, I don't need this. Why do I have this? I don't need this. It's junk. I'm giving it away. And it really made me uh, become, um, I realized that I was a consumer. And it helped me become a little bit more minimalistic to what really matters. And all the junk around my room and around my house that I didn't need. And it really did change my worldview. And it was so good to hear that from her. What's the second thing that going on a short-term missions trip, how would it affect you? Yeah, you know that uh, I travel always with my family. So uh, my family went with me to Nevada. You know, Werner came with me to Haiti. And uh, so missions changes our family. It really does. uh, I spoke last year about my testimony. And I grew up in a non-Christian family. So, you know, I have a lot of things uh, in my family lines, divorce and alcoholism, and all those things are being broken because I'm, I'm ministering with my family. I'm, yeah. I'm seeking the Lord with my family. And so all of those things are a legacy for my kids. You know, even Ella uh, was part of our ministry in Nevada. She memorized a Bible verse and taught all the kids. And just to be able to see her do that and to see her step into a different legacy than, than has been in my family, it yeah. just was so uh, impactful for me. And I know uh, many families who've gone on mission trips with us have come back and said, I'm, I'm going again. It's changed our family dynamic. It's changed our kids, yeah. you know, the way they see life. And uh, so it will change your family. Yeah, one of those uh, today to hear from is Tamika, single mom with beautiful Josh. And let's hear from them as it, how it affected her and Josh and their family. Hi, my name is Tamika Grimes. This is my son, Joshua. And this year we went on our first mission trip as a family to Nevada. Uh, Josh, what were some of the things that you liked about the mission trip? I got to be a blessing to people. I got to help some friends and stuff. I got to have new friends. Good. <laughs> and also, going on the mission trip, we were able to be a blessing by a testimony. And also, the church family that we went with, we were able to get to develop a closeness and encourage each other through prayer. Um, and every day, we just uh, learn more and more about each other. So, I would really admonish and encourage you if you're thinking about going on a mission trip to go as a family and be blessed and also a blessing to others. You know, I was I I, I, I taken my children um, on a family mission trip, and I always refer to it because you know people tell me how great my kids are, and as if I've done something smart enough to make them great, uh, it's been but by grace. But I would say one of the things that that Jamie and I did from the time they were little was just take them out into the world and minister on short-term mission trip. When they saw poverty, when they saw hardship, and they saw the smiles on kids' faces. And, and like an Ananias, I, I don't think we did anything so supernatural that completely converted their world. I mean, we didn't finance them out of poverty. We did, but we were just there in that moment and gave a little bit of hope and a little bit of light. And uh, it's been transforming. Another couple that uh, was able to take their kids are the Clarks. And they've just got a great testimony, too. Uh, I think they went to the Navajo Nation, if I'm not mistaken. So let's hear from the Clarks as they took their family on a short-term trip. All right, my name is Jack. This is my wife, Nicole. And this is our son, Noah. And uh, this June, we took our first mission trip as a family to Red Valley, Arizona. It was a 15-hour car drive, which was crazy, but we had a blast. Nicole has a great story to share with you. Guys, I don't know if you've been on a mission trip before. We've been on a few, and this one was just different. We went in with a lot of expectations that we were just going to wow the kids with our, you know, dazzling kids ministry experience, but we did not have that experience. It was hard, hard soil. They they didn't laugh at our jokes. They didn't, you know... Your jokes. Yeah, they didn't laugh at anything I said, but... um, (laughs) But one day I was out there praying, and it really is like a red valley, hard dirt, hard soil. And I was out there playing in the dirt one day, and the Lord just said, 
you know what, this might not be everything you thought it was gonna be, but you have to plant the seed. Somebody's gonna come in, you're gonna plant the seed, somebody's gonna water it. So whether it's your first time or your 15th time, it's important that we just go out there and we do the work. Yeah, we've been on a couple trips before, Nicole and I, but this is the first time we got to bring Noah with us, and it was a blast, and there was just one special time when I was teaching the kids, and I pulled Noah up to come teach with me, and so he and I were teaching 40 kids on a mountain together, and he was talking, I was talking, and it was the coolest experience as a dad that I've ever had in ministry. So dads, you need to bring your kids, bring your family, go on a mission trip this year for sure. So short-term missions will change your worldview. Uh, it'll change your family if we'll get our family out there with us. And then what's the third area you see that it changes us? It'll change you. You know, I think you, you can't undervalue the uh, benefit that, that missions, you come back and you're changed. You know, you, something inside you yeah. uh, becomes a new. compassion. Yeah, uh, compassion, a character. You know, yeah. it just it develops you in ways that... Um, some things don't, and I've never seen it, you know, the impact that missions have made. I've, I have thousands of stories of people we brought through Global Youth Net and yeah. through Church on the Hill. Their lives have been changed. You know, two of our congregates uh, went on trips this year, and they actually got called to the countries that we went to and will be in long-term missions. You know, those are things that don't happen if you don't step outside your comfort yeah. zone. Yeah, you know? so good. Uh, let's hear from Katrina now. Uh, she, uh, she was on the Cuba trip and how it changed her. Hi, I'm Katrina, and this past summer I was able to go on a mission trip to Cuba with some of the most amazing people, Koth Young Adults. And going to Cuba, it's a communist nation, so I didn't know what to expect. So going there, um, from the first moment, I was just blown away by just the persecution that the church is facing and how little they have. But in the midst of it all, they just serve Jesus and love Jesus with all that they are. Um, we visited some church, um, some churches that were in the uh, pastors' homes, and um, they literally gave up their whole homes just to have these churches. I talked to this one's pastor's wife, and her whole kitchen and living room had been demolished just so they could make room for churches to come and meet there and to serve Jesus together. And um, it, it impacted my life in such an amazing way because, you know, I think sometimes... You know, in my life, when things don't go the way I want or, you know, my hair doesn't look the way I want it or my phone's not working, I think, oh, my gosh, this is the worst. But going there and seeing that they don't have anything, they don't have a phone, they don't have as many Bibles as what I have, but they love Jesus with all that they are, and they just serve him and reach out to the lost as best they can. And so that really changed my life. And um, knowing that, you know, I was able to go and be a part of just the small time that we were there, be a part of their churches and encouraging them. I didn't know if I was able to offer them anything, but just serving the people of Cuba with them and loving on them and praying with them was such a big encouragement to them. So it was great to see how my life was changed and how God was using the people there in Cuba. Yeah, it's amazing how God will change your life on a short-term mission trip. And I think even having some effect in somebody else's life. I mean, you had a great story on that with this last Haiti trip. Yeah, so definitely the overarching feeling in Haiti was like, what are we doing that's really making a large difference? You know, because it's just mass level, like, need, you know. But this orphanage that we, um, we were at has about 50 kids, and, and we got to meet a couple of the orphans who have graduated and went on. And in Haiti, there's an 85% uh, illiteracy rate and a poverty rate. So, um, excuse me, not poverty, unemployment rate. So it's really, like, not a lot to go to. Yeah. And so you're thinking, okay, these kids, they get taken care of in the orphanage, but where do they now go? What? Right. And so we met this uh, young man named Coney, and he um, grew up in the orphanage from birth. Uh, and he, uh, just along the way, discovered he was a musician, and he decided to use those talents for the Lord. So he's a really successful musician in the Dominican Republic. And so wow. to meet him was like, okay, Lord... Even just one kid's life can be just revolutionized. And he's using his gift for the Lord. So how many more people are he, is he touching? Is he ministering yeah, to? Yeah, right, right. You know, so it powerful. Just was impactful, yeah. One more testimony from uh, Miss Katie about her trip. She just came back from Haiti with Erica. And uh, just her, uh, her perspective and how it changed her. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie. And I just got back from a trip to Haiti. And um, I can't even begin to tell you just um, how it changed my life. Um, you know, people were telling me before I went just um, how much devastation there was in Haiti, but I didn't have a clear picture of that until I, I stepped out 
off of the plane. Um, there's um, a lot of suffering. There's poverty, like you wouldn't believe. Um, people just trying to survive day to day. And um, the hardest part is, you know, you, you have a heart to help people, to want to love people. And uh, we were sitting at the dinner table and, um, you know, just a few days in and we were saying to ourselves, we don't even know where to start. Like, how do we help these people? Um, how do we give them hope? Like, how do I tell people that there's, there's more beyond um, what they're doing in their daily lives? And, um, you know, the place where we were staying, there was an orphanage there and um, we got to play and interact with the kids. And I think the best moment was just being able to love them in that moment and love them um, just by simply holding their hand or giving them a hug, um, you know, giving them a simple craft to do and just being present in that moment. Cause that's something Jesus would do. And um, I know I, I couldn't go in and I couldn't remove all their problems. I couldn't give them a job or give them all my money. And that wouldn't solve all their problems, but just going in and saying, I love you in this moment um, was something that we could easily do in the time and in the resources that we had. And, um, I know it changed my life and it could change yours as well. Um, so I'd encourage you if you have a chance to go on one of our missions trips and see how um, it could affect you and your relationship with Christ. Come on, isn't that awesome? Katie, such a great heart. And what a beautiful word about how, you know, just the simple thing, just being there, just looking in someone's eye and say, look, I came all the way from the United States just to tell you that God loves you. I sacrificed my vacation time just to come and bring my kids to meet you and your family. I'm here on assignment. God said go, and I'm just going. I didn't even really know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I could be a great you know, help to you. I don't know if I'll ever even be back, but just to end this moment, to take this moment and say, I love you. With that being said, uh, 2018, we've got a number of missions trips, and I'd like for you to take out your phone or your smart device and go to cough.us, C-O-T-H dot U-S, right where you sit. And uh, we're going to work you through, if you will, the few trips that we have planned, the 10 trips or so that we have planned um, that uh, you could sign up for and go with your family. And you can go on our website right now and then click on the missions button. And we'll go ahead and pull that up on the screen for you. You can see us do it as well. Guys, go ahead and pull that up. So we're going to look at our 2018 missions trips. And hopefully we can get you guys to go with us and, uh, and kind of be a part with us. So we'll start with our first trip. Um, our first trip in, uh, let's see, there you go. Click on, let's go back up. Is that the right one? Uh, scroll down. Let's see what you got there. No, go, go all the way back up to the top, please. There you go. Keep going. There you go. Just click on trips right there. There you go. Now click on Columbia. Our first trip will be Columbia. Tell us a little bit about that one. So our Columbia team, super excited about this trip. We're actually sending them to the Amazon. So they're going to fly into Columbia, connect with the Colombian team, and then uh, fly right into um, the Amazon. So they'll be on the river, sleeping out of tents, uh, ministering really to the ends of the earth, the people who have not heard the gospel before. They're going to bring them uh, clean water, which is a huge thing for people living in the Amazon. As you know, most people don't have access to clean drinking water. And so we're going to serve them, uh, tell them about Jesus, and super excited about that trip. It's kind of uh, something new for us. Yeah, be cool. All right, how about the next trip? There you go, click on it. All right, this is going to be for our young, our young people, our EP, uh, Ezekiel Project, or our youth ministry. And uh, where are they going to be headed? We're going to send them to Mexico, to Piedras Negras. We go there every year. So uh, it's a really special trip for us. We've been going there uh, for almost 12 years now. And so the youth, I'm really excited about sending your young, adult, your young people to go minister. You know, they're going to minister in the yeah. orphanage there. We have a school. They're going to do some street ministries, some evangelism. So a uh, really cool experience for uh, our young people. And that, that ministry has been around for, what, 40, 50 yeah, years? Time. So they know what they're doing. Well super safe. Yeah, super established. All right, how about the next trick that's available? All right, Haiti. So we're, we're going back to Haiti, yes, and uh, these are actually some of our pictures from this last trip, but um, we'll work in the orphanage that we um, have down there that uh, Brother Sullivan has uh, beautifully kept up for 40-plus years, uh, and we'll be ministering alongside um, some really great pastors. He has a great network of pastors that are raising up the next generation of leaders, and uh, we're going to go to be a resource to them and, and just really come alongside them and, and uh, reach their church members, reach their uh, kids, you know, just do some yep. really great ministry. All right, how about the next one? So then Nevada, tell us about that. This one's always special to my heart, you know, it's where I grew up, but um, uh, people don't often know this, but uh, Indian Springs, the town we go to, is uh, one of the top, uh, it's like the top 10 poorest cities in the nation, and so 
per capita. And so these kids are just so, um, they don't have anything. And so we'll go, we'll do some food outreaches, some clothing outreaches, and we do a music camp for them. They love it. They love to um, get to know how they can use their gifts for Jesus. I think yeah. about Coney and how he discovered his gift for the Lord. And I, and in Nevada, I see a lot of that. You know, the kid's like, oh, I can actually do something. There you go. So see, if you, uh, if you don't need to get, a, you don't even need to get a passport. If you've got some, yeah. um, you know, some uh, outstanding warrants, you'll be okay. <laughs> you don't have to go across the border. It's a great family yeah. trip for it's sure. Great <laughs> All right, how about the next one? El Salvador. Tell so us about that. this is a brand new ad for us. Uh, we have partnered with a missionary called Wally Cook, and he is gifted in supernatural healing ministry. And so he's actually going to train our teams and how to pray for people and see them recover. And so uh, if you're excited about um, the supernatural, <laughs> the supernatural yeah, healing ministry, it's, and we'll be in schools there. He's really influential. He's been there a number of years, and so we'll be in the schools ministering to kids praying for people. You're going to see a lot of miracles. On yeah, a lot trip. of blind eyes open, yep. deaf ears open. All right, how about our next trip? So the Navajo Nation is um, one of our staples, but we're actually going to a new plant, and uh, it will be a great trip for families. Uh, we'll travel down, help the, uh, help the Navajo people. You heard Nicole talk about them. It's, uh, it's some hard ground, but it's needed to, uh, you know, yeah. to speak to. Yeah, it's just been such, uh, you know, such uh, difficulty for, yes. for that people group. Just with alcoholism and drug abuse yeah. and things like that, and so they they really need just to be shown just love. Encouragement. Yeah, yeah, just encouragement. Okay, how about the next one? So we're going back to Cuba. I'm really <laughs> excited about that. Um, you know, we'll do be doing some of the similar stuff that Katrina talked about, being in the house church, encouraging the believers, and just really come alongside them as they uh, try to minister in a communist yeah, country. It, it's still a communistic yeah. country, and the church, if you will, is not allowed to be yes. public. They can have home meetings and things like that, but they, they, they don't want them having, uh, they're not allowed to have any kind of outreach, you know, any kind of no big meetings, can't, can't, you know, get, draw any attention from the community by it. So it literally is a one-on-one kind of house church, inviting yeah. neighbors and friends and seeing miracles happen, which is pretty cool. I love, yeah. I love that trip. All right, how about the next one? So we'll go back to Mexico. Uh, this will be a trip for uh, families as well. So we'll have two Mexico trips, one for our young teenagers, yeah, teenagers yeah. and then one for uh, everybody else. Again, we'll be doing similar things, uh, working in the orphanage there, the school, doing a VBS for them. Uh, really loving all the kids. And there. during the summertime when the kids are out of school, so you can bring your families. Yeah, a little bit more time. I tell you, let, while she clicks on the next one, I'll tell you, you would do better to bring your kids on a short-term mission trip than to bring them to Disney World. I promise you, because by the time you have suffered for five days wanting to murder your child, gotten back home, come on, somebody hadn't been to Disney World yet. You should have been <laughs> laughing at that. And uh, to have taken them on a place where you suffered on purpose and, uh, and actually saw their worldview change and that little spoiledness on them begin to break off of it. Then you can say, remember them kids in Mexico? If you don't act right, no, I'm just kidding. But see, <laughs> they... Now, they have a problem. <laughs> Your iPhone not working, that's not a problem, all right? And so it really does help them see uh, the, the, the hand of the Lord on people's lives. All right, this next one is an easy... because yeah, so we, weekend getaway. It's a, a four-day trip. We'll be doing, um, you know, Houston got devastated by the flood, and so we want to go help our neighbors out. They're still rebuilding there, so they still need uh, encouragement. They need really a helping hand. This will be a really practical, hands-on kind of construction trip. And it's just a weekend for those yep. of you who say, listen, I don't have vacation time. I can't get away like that. You could bring your family just for three days on a weekend, go down to Houston, do some ministry, and it really will touch your life and touch your family. All right, how about the next one? Our last trip is the Holy Land. We'll be going March of 2019, so this gives you a lot of time to fundraise and a lot of time. Uh, this is a dream trip for me. I've always wanted to go to Israel, be yeah. where Jesus was. We partner with a ministry called Bridges for peace, they're reaching out to Jews. So bridging uh, the gap from Jews yeah. to Christians. It's really yeah, and my positive. mom and dad are taking that that's trip, right. so they're really excited exciting. about yeah. it. So you have some cool people to go with. And that's it. It is our heart that each and every one of the members of our church, that over the next couple of years, that all of you would go on a short-term missions trip. Why is that? Because we're a missional church. What do we mean by that? It means that we don't want to just sit in our little comfort zone and never touch others who are hurting with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be his hands. We want to be his feet. We want to show love to the world and the nations of the world. And then we want to have a transformation in, of who, uh, in ourselves and who we've become to actually get to see what God intended us. We want to be the Ananiases of, uh, of our generation. That maybe, maybe, maybe we're not on a big you know, platform and, and become the next you know, Henny Ben or somebody like that. But l- listen, we can go and we can make an impact that changes the world. Would you stand with me all across the, the room? W- weren't you blessed by this? Would you give Erica a hand? She's just doing so good to serve you. Now, I want you just to take a moment, and I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. And uh, we're okay on time. 
And I want you just to ask the Lord, Lord, what could I do? Lord, what could, what could work for me and my family? We've done our best to make it simple and easy, price effective, or cost effective, excuse me, a price range that you uh, could work towards. You can raise funds. God has a way of doing supernatural miracles in that. You've heard from some of the most beautiful people in our church. I mean, when you've got a single mom taking her little boy on a missions trip, and it's coming back and saying, video me, because I want to tell you how it, how it helped us, how it's helping us. Friend, I want you to know something. If she can do it, you can do it, I promise you. When you've got a family who took, you know, both their little boys, we didn't even get to have uh, the Clark's other child with them because, you know, he just couldn't sit still long enough. But, but to just be able to take your family and invest in that kind of capacity, not only for your own life but for the lives of others. And as you stand here kind of with your head bowed and your eye closed, what could you do? What could you Maybe I couldn't sell you today on going on a short-term missions trip, but what gift can you be this week for somebody else? How can you be his hands and feet this week? This is the question, the gift. We're celebrating the greatest gift ever given to humanity, Jesus Christ. He was the gift in that beautiful manger some 2,000 years ago. And now, as we read in Scripture, we are his ambassadors to the lost and the dying. We are his hands and his feet, his voice, his love to be poured out to others. As you stand there with your head bowed and your eye closed, ask yourself that question, Lord, how can I be a gift? to someone else. Maybe this week, maybe you'd be willing to be a gift to others on a short-term mission trip with me. Would you just ask the Lord to show you? Now we'll take about 30 seconds and we'll just open our hearts to God's will, to his desires. Ananias could have pushed the voice of the Lord away and said, I'm not going. I'm not doing that. That doesn't make sense. That's too hard. Oh, that's going to take me out of my comfort zone. I already had plans for this evening, Lord. I can't do that. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name you'd speak to us. Talk to us, Lord. Let one of those trips stand out and just burn in our heart. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that you're raising up a church where men and women actually care about others in the world. That, Lord God, we see past our own needs and our own difficulties and we become a part of the solution to help others in need. May we be your hands. May we be your voice to a dying generation. May we just in an act of love, an act of sacrifice. For that's the power of the gift. It's in the sacrifice, not in the overall gift. The power of that gift to just show someone else that we actually care. It may not be something where we can take them out of poverty. We may not be able to give them all of our clothes or give them a car. But Lord, we can in that moment show them that they are greatly loved. They're not forgotten. And that someone in the world actually took a time, got out of their comfort zone and came to be with them. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would mark us. Lord, you marked me when I was 14 years old. I'm the pastor of Church on the Hill because when I was 14 years old, I I went on a trip and you called me into the ministry and something shifted. What I wanted to be, what I wanted to do, it shifted. And I realized what really mattered. And I now am a lover of people because I saw the need. I asked for that for every man and woman who's a member of Church on the Hill. Now with your head bowed and your eye closed, if today... If today you've never received the gift of God, if you never allowed Jesus to be the Lord of your life, friend, this is your moment. Maybe you have lived your life for yourself. And maybe here today you came to our services and, you, and you've been just feeling this lostness. You feel separated from the living God. Maybe you used to be a Christian, but life has happened. Sin has dominated. Uh, you feel yourself removed or separated from the Lord. Friend, don't leave that, this place like that today. There's an opportunity for you to be right with the Lord. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this planet in a little manger. The king of glory, the king, came in the form of weakness and a child to be carried, to be coddled, to have his diapers changed. He humbled himself to that so that he could come and be the bridge back to the Father. Then he died on a cross that you and I might have access to to Father God. And in that moment of dying on that cross, he paid for every sin you and I would ever commit. And in that moment, he paid the way or paved the way to come to the Lord. So there's a pathway for you to get to God today. His name is Jesus. You say, what do I do, Pastor? Well, the Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You don't have to give money to the church to be a Christian. You don't have to give, you know, 2,500 Hail Marys and crawl on your knees and beg and plead. Jesus paid it all 2,000 years ago. We just simply get to receive it. 
So today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian, would you let me pray with you? Could you help me? Could you help, help me fulfill my purpose in life? And that is to help you know God. Would you respond to the Lord today and let him touch your life? Would you pray out a prayer with me here in just a moment, declaring him the Lord of your life? If that's you and I'm speaking to you, God's tugging at your heart. Would you just admit that to yourself that you need Jesus? Would you admit that to the Lord and be willing to pray with me by just lifting your hand and saying, Pastor, that's me. It's time. I'm ready to serve the Lord. I want to be a Christian today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, just get your hand up where I can see it quickly. Amen. God bless you. Yes, amen. Anybody else? Thank you for your honesty. Amen. There's been a couple of hands. You can put them down. I want to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of dedication, a prayer of making Jesus the Lord of your life. In fact, I'd like everyone in the congregation to pray this out loud with those who lifted their hand. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I accept your grace. Today I admit I'm a sinner, but I love you and I make you the Lord of my life. Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand, even those who maybe didn't get their hand up, but they prayed that prayer in all sincerity. Lord, I pray right now they would sense your peace. They would know your forgiveness, that they would walk out of this place recognizing that, you know what, I may not be perfect, but I am forgiven. I may not, I may not do everything right, but he did everything right. And Jesus, I thank you right now that as they exit this place today and they lay on their couch today or they, they sit in their big chair or go to bed tonight, that an overwhelming sense of being right with you would take over where all that guilt has been it's now washed away and peace like a river comes over them because you are their Lord and their Savior and all their days all their days are numbered by you and for eternity they'll spend it with you in Jesus name we thank you amen and amen